This is KRP, Ken's Random Podcast. It's very random that I'm doing an interview, much less one about food, because all along I've been doing just random observations, but I've drifted off into interviews. So you get to be, I think, the first one. So congratulations. Thank you. And how random of you. Yes, indeed. I am a random kind of guy. And for those that don't know who David Page is, he's the creator of Dives, Drive-Ins, and no, no, the other way Everybody around. gets it like it's diners, drive-ins, and dives. Would you believe I've been practicing that all day? I was in the bathroom a moment ago, and I was practicing. <laughs> no, you did real well. Yeah, real well. Let's try that again. Anyway, he's got a great book out called Food Americana. And, you know, we can ask all the questions about the diners, drive-ins, dives, and uh, Guy Fieri. But the book is what we should be discussing today. And if you want to mention anything about the television series, you're welcome to do that. I'll be glad to. What would you like to know? Okay. Why? (laughs) Why did you start? And uh, how did Guy Fieri come into this? Well, the show started um, completely randomly, uh, (laughs) highly appropriate for this podcast. I had done some things for the Food Network through Al Roker's production company, including an hour on diners. And when I moved on to start pitching them on my own, they didn't like anything I was selling. So I had a bunch of phone calls where I'd say, how about this? How about that? And a very nice woman, a commissioning executive just kept saying no. One day I'm on the phone with her and she says, haven't you got anything else about diners? And I said, oh, absolutely. I'm developing this show called Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives. And she said, that sounds interesting. It was like a Thursday or Friday um, late in the day. And she said, can you get something to me for a meeting on Tuesday? And I said, absolutely, no problem. Hung up the phone. Uh, I, of course, had not been developing anything called Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. I had just pulled the name out of either thin air or a body part, depending upon how you want to recreate the event. (laughs) I spent the next couple of days, I spent the weekend calling people. This was way back when we would actually call people a lot instead of emailing them and things. And I called around, uh, wrote up a uh, a one-hour show pitch, got it to her on Monday, They met on Tuesday, and shortly thereafter, they commissioned a one-hour special. As to how I found Guy, I didn't find Guy. Uh, The Food Network gave me Guy. I I did not know who or what he was. When when they said they wanted to do the series, I said, well, great, let's talk about hosts. Uh, Not the series, the special. I said, let's talk about hosts. And they said, no, no, we got your host. I, I said, okay, who's that? They said, he's the guy who just won the Food Network Star Contest, Mm. and his name's Guy Fieri. Uh, Get online and look him up. And I did, and I was horrified. I I, I came up with, I mean, here's a grown-up in short pants, flip-flops, and hair that looks like someone dropped a toaster into his bathtub. And I thought to myself, I'm screwed. Yeah. And then I started looking further and I said, he's got something. He was green, but, but he had something. And then when we started uh, to work on, on the, the special, uh, very quickly it became obvious to me that while he had a ton to learn, he was an incredible student. He sucked up 
uh, guidance very quickly. And he was the most naturally talented TV performer I'd ever worked with. Wow. I've worked with some very big time people. So that's how I got Guy, completely by accident and kind of against my will. (laughs) Well, you said it was a random choice. Oh, it it was random, all right. The first time I saw the show with Guy, I'm like, what the hell is this? First off, short pants, flip-flops, weird hair, Mm -hmm. and uh, just things all over, like little bracelets and stuff. And I'm thinking, how in the hell can you cook like that? But obviously he did. And like you said, just seems so natural on camera. Look, TV boils down to good TV, boils down to providing the viewer an opportunity to voyeuristically spend time with someone he or she likes. Yeah. It's it's as simple as that. It's why certain TV personalities like Tom Selleck never go away. Yeah. Whatever part they're playing, you intrinsically like them. You want to hang out with them. Yeah. And guys, someone you want to hang out with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to mention any other names in the food uh, genre of television, but you probably know who I'm talking about anyway. I would not eat at this man's restaurants because I don't eat food that was prepared by somebody who seems so hateful. I, I just I don't get and you probably know who I'm talking I'm, about. I'm right? saying nothing. Yeah. Okay. As far as for guy, I would sit down with this guy and have a beer and a burger, man. Uh, just my kind of guy. And you're absolutely right. You know, that's the way he is. But well, there's, there's another example right now on TV. Who doesn't want to hang out with Stanley Tucci? Yeah. And his series on CNN, as much as anything else, is built around the fact that not that you're going to these places. I've been to most of them. They're wonderful. <laughs> I was lucky enough to work in Europe for many years, but but that you're going to them with Stanley, this charming, well-dressed, bilingual guy. You just want to be in his posse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that show, I think that show is great, by the way. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Well, uh, you know, some of some of the big names in food have come down to South Louisiana. And when you mention food, you think of Cajun cooking and we do more than Cajun cooking. And uh, Anthony Bourdain graced our city of Lafayette with his presence a couple of times. And he boosted Popeye's sales through the roof because Lafayette has the last uh, buffet of Popeye's. So really, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, Anthony. you know, Pop, Popeyes plays a part in my in my book. Well, I haven't read the book yet because I'm I'm doing like Larry uh, King said. Yeah, don't read the book. First. Don't over prepare. There's I, I talk in the book. I have a chapter on fried chicken. Yeah, and I go into depth on the chicken sandwich war of 2019 oh. and 2020. Yes, and the the guy at Popeyes who pulled the trigger on the tweet that ignited the war, Bruno Cardinale, their their global marketing head, took me step by step through the events of that day. Uh, they, they, they had made a big deal about putting out their new chicken sandwich. And he was in the test kitchen with some franchisees. Their, their test kitchen is in Miami. When word came to him that Chick-fil-A had put out a tweet clearly directed at Popeye's reminding the world 
that their chicken sandwich was the original. And it, in the real world, it wasn't people making yeah, chicken yeah. sandwiches before them. But anyway, uh, and Bruno told me, he said, look, they don't respond to anyone. So obviously we'd gotten to them. And then the question was, what to do? Do you react? And he described heading upstairs to his part of the building where his staff gathered around in this small glass wall mini conference room, not even big enough for like a board table. And they're all looking at their phones and looking at the the tweet. And then he had his uh, agency noodle the thing and come up with possible responses. And the one they got back that they liked was simply, y'all good? <laughs> As if to imply that uh, Chick-fil-A had its knickers in a twist. Yeah. And he said, let's go with that. And 15 minutes from the time he was first aware that uh, they had caused Chick-fil-A to blink, they fired back and the war was underway, which, by the way, benefited not just Popeye's. It benefited Chick-fil-A and everyone else who sold a chicken sandwich and the 30 chains that jumped into the chicken sandwich business in the next year. So uh, it was a rising tide lifting all boats, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My guest today on Ken's Random Podcast is David Page, the creator of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Did I get it right that time? Perfect. Oh, amazing, amazing. We'll be, back. we'll be back with David. We'll talk about his new book, Food Americana, in just a moment. This is KRP, Ken's Random Podcast. Back with my guest, David Page. We're talking about his book, Food Americana, and we're talking about Guy Fieri. We're talking chicken sandwiches. And, you know, when Popeyes came out with that chicken sandwich, I was like, I got to try that. Well, a very skeptical friend of mine called from New Orleans. I beat you to it. I had the first one of these. It is amazing. So when I knew that he was that hepped up on it, it was going to be great. And uh, it, it was even Mickey D's has come out with a chicken fried chicken sandwich. And it's it's Mickey. There, D's. there was a lot of grumbling among McDonald's franchise holders throughout the the 2019 into 2020. Yeah. Um, explosion of of the chicken sandwich business because they didn't have one I, there may have been a chicken sandwich on the menu of some sort but they considered it clearly inferior and they were beating on mcdonald's management to hurry up and come out with something that that would give them an opportunity to to get their piece of the action and their revised chicken sandwich came out not that long ago i haven't tried it uh, apparently it was responsible for some pretty hefty sales uh, mm -hmm. after it first appeared. But you know, this whole this whole chicken thing, chicken has actually overtaken beef yeah. as the number one protein uh sold in America, and it's not gonna go back the other way. But as a food expert who I interviewed in the book explained to me, he said, you know, people look at chicken and they think it's healthier, and then when they buy it, they get it fried. So <laughs> Oh. Yeah, trust me, Dave, when you buy fried chicken in South Louisiana, it's protein. All right. Indeed. Indeed. Um, let's get to the book. You mentioned a food expert. 
what do you do in the book? How many food experts are there? And, and what kind of topics do you cover? I have a few experts in there when necessary. For example, in this whole ongoing argument over the alleged difference between frozen and fresh hamburger beef. Ooh. One of the elements in the ongoing attempt by a number of upscale chains to position themselves as better than McDonald's or Burger King is that they don't use frozen beef. And I thought, okay, that makes perfect sense. What can I tell? So I talked to um, seemingly boundless number of food scientists. And the conclusion I came to was in a perfect world, two naked burgers side by side, you could tell which one was fresh and which was frozen. Mm -hmm. But in the real world, on a bun, topped with condiments, you have no idea. Yeah. Wow. Well, now, most of the book is not science and experts. The book is about how we created an American cuisine. You think of French cuisine, you think you know what it is. Uh, stereotypically, someone will sure. say steak frites. In fact, France has multiple <laughs> regional cuisines. But, but yeah. the fact is, we look at other countries and we think we can nail what that country's indigenous cuisine is. So what is American cuisine? American cuisine, in my view, is a variety of dishes that were brought here by immigrants or in some other way we took from other countries and cultures and then modified to suit our tastes or our availability of ingredients, right. leaving us with a completely American cuisine that pretty much came from everywhere else. Yeah. I mean, sushi, in my view, is now an American food. Oh, sure. It is an essential part of the daily diet of a large swath of America. Uh, Bagels used to be my people, New York (laughs) Jews. Uh, We used to own bagels. Yeah. We don't own bagels anymore. The most bagels in America are actually sold by Dunkin' Donuts. Wow, that's, that, that's that's a shame. That's a crying shame. Well, you can still get it. Well, actually, there, there's there's a nice good side to this, which is there's been an uptick in I hate the word artisan, but artisan bagels. People not in New York or LA trying to recreate an authentic New York bagel to the extent there's a place in it may be Denver where they chemically treat the water to mimic the mineral content of New York water because there is a never resolved debate over whether or not it's the water that makes New York bagel special. Um, But as with many of the cuisines that I touch on here, of late there has been an effort to, on the one hand, take take it back to its roots in the way it's handmade, and then the other to, to, to push the envelope a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that that's nice to see. You you mentioned, you know, uh, bagels. And I think of a place we had here in Lafayette for a while. We had a chef who went to New York for the first time. And he was blown away by what? Bagels. And right. he said, I'm going to learn how to do this. He came back and opened a bagel place. It was amazing. He lasted six months. I don't know why. Yeah, well, look, 
as widespread as it may be, I, I can't speak to the tastes of folks in Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, I'm sure there's at least a few who wanted a good bagel. Me. But there's a similar story in my book. A couple, he was a New Yorker. He ended up in Kansas City working for Ford Motor Company. He met a woman who, he was Jewish, she was not. She grew up in Kansas City. She never had a real bagel. Um she had occasionally, I guess, what you could get from the grocery store. And she couldn't understand why he was going on and on and on about New York bagels and he's living in a bagel desert. Well, she had a business trip scheduled to go to New York. Uh, and I guess she hadn't been to New York before. And they decided he would take a couple of days and go with her. And he went with her on the trip and he took her to the Upper West Side and they bought not just bagels, but lox and whitefish salad and mm. all of my people's essentials and <laughs> went to the park, sat down. She had the first proper bagel of her life and she was hooked. Fast forward six years with no experience in the business. They open a bagel shop in Kansas City making bagels by hand. They've now got four bagel shops in Kansas City. They're a huge success. Wow, that's and great. the name of the the name of the business is Meshuga Bagels. Meshuga <laughs> is the Yiddish word for crazy, because you'd have to be crazy to do what they did. They're random, okay. I grant you that. All right, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about not a dive, but sort of a dive, and it's uh, has something to do with your people. Okay, tell me. I was stationed at Fort Monmouth for a year in New Jersey, yes. like near where you live. Right. And right outside the gates was a bar slash pool hall named Triple X. Mm -hmm. Had nothing to do with sex. But when you got a pastrami on white, that sucker must have been two on white on white. Yeah. Oh, no, come but, on. But on rye, it was great, too. It was much, much greater. No, if let's you say. Eat, in New Jersey or New York, if you eat pastrami on white, you get shot. Hey, they served it on white sometimes. And oh. it was, hey, the pastrami was so good. I, I, I dream about this 50 years later. You know, it's like, man, I miss real pastrami. So well, pastrami is is a great food. And it's like many other foods. It, it was originally a food of poverty yeah. because it was made out of a brisket, which is a tough cut. Sure. Um, which is the same cut used for the same reason to make Central Texas barbecue. Yeah. All of when you can't afford the prime cuts, you develop ways to tenderize the meat, which is I do a chapter on barbecue. Yeah. Um, the whole low and slow cooking thing with barbecue is to tenderize the meat, mm -hmm. uh, be it pork or, or beef, uh, in in a way that uh, maximizes its goodness. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about uh, you, you're talking about food that comes from poverty. That's well, I'm not going to ask a question. I'm going to state something. Gumbo in South Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Some people, oh, man, this is the greatest thing ever. And it's like my grandparents had to come up with this stuff, my ancestors, because they didn't have much to eat. And now it's worldwide. And yeah, well, uh, see, there's nothing cheaper than an extender called Rue. <laughs> OK, it's presumably leftover bacon fat. Yeah. From. Yeah the coffee can next to the stove and some flour. 
Now, if you do that and you put in a few pieces of protein, you've you've made yourself a meal. But it, in the, the 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 Jewish appetizing tradition, which eventually brought us bagels and lox, the first staple for Jewish immigrants to New York was a much cheaper smoked fish. It would be herring. Mm. And the thing with herring, it was so cheap. It was five cents a herring, three for 10 cents. If you, if you got a herring, you could get two meals out of it because the first meal you rub the skin on some bread and enough of the fat comes out, that's the first meal. The second meal, you eat the fish. Oh, man. Yeah, po- look, poverty is behind s- so much. Look, look at chicken wings, which I discuss in the book and um, with no disrespect intended to the Anchor Bar, which clearly invented the style of wing that has the wing cut in two pieces and dipped into blue cheese. There was actually a a wing restaurant called Wings and Things that operated in Buffalo that was serving wings before the Anchor Bar. It was owned by John Young, an African-American from Kentucky, who (laughs) grew up in a tradition where no part of the chicken would ever go to waste. Right. And especially if you had the preacher over, you know, there's the, the phrase, the preacher bird. But yeah, preacher in Southern African-American churches would go from household to household each week to, to be offered lunch. And he would get the first good parts of the chicken and then the parents. And by the time it got down to the end of the table, you had kids literally eating, you know, backs, uh, wings and feet. Yeah. So uh, the chicken wing comes out of a tradition of, of poverty around food. Yeah. So much of what I mean, look at lobster. Yeah. Yeah. No, nobody wanted to eat a lobster. The, the, and, you know, I say we took foods from other cultures or countries. Yes, lobsters were indigenous to North America, but the settlers who got here didn't want to eat them. They looked like big, ugly bugs. Yeah. They had to learn how to cook them from the Native Americans. Yeah. Well, how about this? We don't have lobster down here. We've got their offspring, the little teeny tiny crawfish. They're not crayfish. Yeah. Well, do you do you suck the head or not? Well, depends on how good they are. You know, okay. we, had, we, we had some two weeks ago that were really, really great. And I've had some that were just eh, not good at all. But anyway, what other cultures do you touch on here? We've got Mexican food, Vietnamese food. Uh, See that you, you just hit an interesting point about the line i don't think vietnamese food is yet part of american cuisine it's popular in pockets and places yeah but it's not universal it's not something you're going to find pretty much anywhere and you have a larger vietnamese population in louisiana right uh i think involved to some extent in the shrimping industry Absolutely. But you, you have a lot of Vietnamese culture down there that you don't have in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. you you may you may be getting I mean, I had Vietnamese food the other day. I had a wonderful bowl of pho with um uh pork, pork liver and pork heart. And it was fantastic. It okay. was great. But yeah, I, I I don't think Vietnamese has crossed the line. Clearly so- Chinese has, yeah, yeah. Mexican has, 
there's another food that, that I would say is not American yet, and that's Thai cuisine, which is very popular right. in many places, but still not in my mind um, universal. Yeah. Here we've got Thai, we've got Vietnamese restaurants, and you mentioned that Vietnamese soup that is so good, and you yeah. mentioned hearts and livers, so I'm going to hit you with this one. I'm walking through Costco one day, and they've got these nine packs of the soup, and you bring it home. And it's pretty good. Well, one day I said, needs a little protein, Vienna sausage. <laughs> I am a random kind of guy. Hey. It was great. It was great. Well, no, I'll tell you a funny story. I uh, First time I was in, not the first time, but one of the first times I was in Moscow, we were put up at this grand old hotel, the Soviet Skaya, where all the rooms were. I was at NBC News producer. And the Soviet sky is where they put all the foreign press because the rooms were pre-wired for the KGB. Of course. And there were like 11 people in this massive hotel. And there was almost nothing to eat. They would give you a menu with like 300 things on it and have nothing. So in desperation, I said, do you have any borscht? I mean, I grew up with borscht, nice red beet soup. They said, yes. They brought out a bowl of this kind of gray liquid that had pieces of hot dogs in it. Because I, I think in reality, borscht was whatever you had around. Right. And it evolved into beet soup as it came to America. Yeah. Uh, in reality, I think it was, it could have beets or it could have hot dogs or it could have whatever else was there. It was not my, my grandmother's borscht was much better. Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I had first experience with borscht and caviar in Paris of all places. There was nice. a Russian restaurant around the corner from where I lived with some other army guys. It was like, whoa, this is kind of vodka. Oh man. Anyway, another subject. We'll talk about vodka later, but tell Anytime me. Anytime you want to talk about vodka, I'm here. All right. I understand. I understand. So the book must be available on what? Amazon and every other. Yeah, every platform. place you get a book. You can yeah. go to Amazon, uh, Walmart, Target, Barnes and Noble, Bookshop. Uh, it's doing quite well. Yeah. Doing quite well. Uh, well ho God. hopefully after this podcast, sales will explode. But in yeah. a random fashion. Yes, in a random fashion. Absolutely. Well, Dave, I, I, you know, now that I've done the interview, I got to go get the book and read it. You know? Yeah. I, I'm, I, look, I'm putting my daughter through grad school. I, I need every sale I can get. Absolutely, man. You know, it's it's amazing to be able to do this on a podcast and we're sitting here 21st century face to face what a thousand two thousand fifteen hundred miles apart fifteen hundred yeah and talking about the same stuff that's great and uh, the book is food americana by dave page and you can get it on amazon and like he said you know anywhere you can buy a book you're going to find it um before i let you go i want to talk about a, not a dive but let's say here's a non-americana food right okay. we've got we've got sushi at a little grocery store here well, that sushi's make, american yeah yeah but it, they make all kinds of other cajun type okay. things like boudin all kinds of other stuff Ooh, nice oh yeah a little further down the road there is a little uh I call them stop and robs a, a little seven 11 kind of mm -hmm. place. And it's kind of sleazy. And out front, there's a sign says fresh Mediterranean food. I've never tried it, but we've got two or three Mediterranean two. Three, oh, you've got, well, it's, it depends what they mean by Mediterranean. I'm kind of guessing they're talking about 
Greek slash Middle Eastern hummus, baba ganoush, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. That is a remarkable cuisine. Yeah, I haven't tried this. Oh, it's so good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And of course, we need some wine to wash that down with. You know, you got to do what you got to do, dude. I'm getting getting hungry, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Any more that you want to say before I close this out? Uh, The pandemic really kicked independent mom and pop restaurants in the butt. Mm-hmm. So go out and support them. Yep. They, they, they do a wonderful thing and they make about a buck 380. So yeah. help, help keep them alive. Absolutely. There are so many chains that are doing well, but those mom and pop operations are, are struggling. And I see signs everywhere. Help wanted. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It, is it, tough. Re- it really is. Well, Dave, thanks very much for the interview. It'll be up on my podcast uh, sometime this week. On a random day, that's the way it okay, rolls. I'll randomly look for it then. I'll randomly send it to your email. Thanks again, Dave, for being with me today. Ken, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining me today for Ken's Random Podcast. We'll do it again someday in the future uh, on a random basis. But I thank you for listening. Please smash that follow button and tell your friends about it. KRP, Ken's Random Podcast.